Well, good morning. It's good to be back in South Carolina in this side, as you would call it, the neck of the woods, as I would say. Uh, it's been a joy to be with you the last couple of days and just to share what I believe that God has laid upon my heart and just for us to, to maybe uh, just to refresh the way. It's nothing new, it's just kind of looking at things that we already know, just from a new perspective, new way, and then somehow we can apply also the truth of that to our own hearts. We are from South Africa, as you probably have heard. Our native language that we speak at home is Afrikaans, it's not English. We, we speak the Afrikaans language, which we call the heavenly language. So at some point you guys have to learn that. Uh, if you want to enter and be with us and Jesus forever in heaven. Uh, you know, they say I speak funny when I come to America. Uh, over the years I had to learn to speak the English language and I had to watch the movies that come all the way from the USA and some movies that came from Britain. So we have the Commonwealth English and we have the American version, so we put that together and this is what we get. Uh, <laughs> but I have learned over the years that I travel from north down to the south in the States. It's, uh, people here also speak fine. I, uh, I saw that again last night, you know, things like over yonder and you're old and you're old. So it's, it's just amazing how you put these things together. The rednecks and the Yankees are both. Uh, but, uh, but it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, but our ministry is Afrikaans back home. But ever since COVID 19 I was able to be able to write some material that people have been asking for the last couple of years to be able to put that out of the market. And I remember I was sitting in Jerusalem with Brother Scott Davis and Brother Paul McKee. And they said, Francis, but these things that you are teaching us at the Baptist Convention, we need to put this on Facebook and YouTube, and we need to open a website. And as we were still talking in Jerusalem, Scott was playing around a little bit, and before I knew it, there was a Facebook page up. And so it's a constant way of maintaining and developing it. And so that's what Scott has mentioned this morning. There is a little fly like this. Please say one, there's enough on the table, there's more in the in the bag as well, take it back home, and then you can just click on the scan codes. It's not just about the books and the nations, it's about to enlist in the YouTube channel, the Facebook, and all the newsletters and things like this. As we start to send it out also in the English language, not just in the States, but especially worldwide, as people are asking for that. Constantly, we will start to add some podcasts and articles and more devotions for people to read about the connected life. And the reason for that is the following. I believe with my whole heart that we have drifted away from God's original purpose for the local church, which was to glorify God, to make disciples, and to be a blessing for the local communities. And by saying that, our dream and desire with the Connected Life Ministries is somehow to find a way that we can start a movement very informally without trying to organize that, to that the Lord can start to develop a new breed of leadership worldwide that would be willing to return back to the way that Jesus had done things, what we call the forgotten Jesus model, and wanting just to be with Jesus and being transformed and changed by Him, that we can actually just, that He can send us out to go and make a difference in this world where God has placed us. So part of that is the book called The Call. Please have a look at that. You can read this more about the way that Jesus has done it. There's some more material. 
material uh, quiet time and also how to connect your family with God. I only brought about 20 or 30 copies with me in my bags. I was not able to bring more than that, but you are more than welcome to have a look at that. And at some point later throughout this year, I believe it will also be on Amazon as a soft cover. You can find it already there as an ebook, but not as a soft cover yet. And we will study add some more material that I have just finished writing uh, in South Africa, Britain, and it will be published very, very soon. Now for this morning, when we are together, I, I thought about speaking to you about what I want to call the forgotten Jesus model. And I want you to bear with me as we talk about this, because I there's so many thoughts that is in my heart when we talk about this. I mean, this is in the book. But I, I want to put things together as we go along and as we talk about this, just to create maybe a stirring within your heart. And maybe just a moment to dream and to start to imagine that every person in America, starting here today, has the potential to be and to become all that Jesus meant for us to be. If I would ask you today, if I would give you one sense American, that we can actually multiply that 64 times. If you, some people like to play chess, if you take the chessboard, you find there's 64 blocks on the chessboard. And if I would look at you today and say, listen, if I give you one million American dollars today, cash, would you take it? Or would you rather take one sense American, multiply 64 times? and be patient and wait 64 days to get the final amount. Now sometimes, you know, when you have a need, the temptation might be there to take the money and just kind of move on. But if you take the one cent, the second day is only two cents, day number three is only four cents, and then you multiply by eight cents and then 16 cents and seven cents and 32 cents and 64 cents, then it becomes one dollar and it becomes two dollars and then four dollars and... But if you keep on multiplying this doubling in the whole time, by the time you get to 64, you talk about billions. And I have a question in my heart, why is the churches declining in America, closing down at 4,000 per year at the moment? New church plant is only a thousand, that means there's a difference of 3,000 people and members that has just gone to the wayside. But in the times of Jesus, it multiplied, starting with 11 disciples and ending with more than 2 billion followers worldwide. So I, I just want you to think for a moment, just imagine, every church in South Carolina, just forget about the theology of new church plants and projects and events and programs from the Baptist Convention. Let's just take 2,800 Baptist churches in South Carolina. And each of this multiplied itself with one more church. Now let's forget about the church. Let's just take you here today. You and I. We are 1,800, 200 here this morning. Let's just, every one of us here today, just take responsibility for one person that God has uniquely brought into your life. And you teach that person everything that you know. And you duplicate yourself in that person. Just one block. You just put myself on. I'm just one block here today. 
If I just take this one block and duplicate myself in this one block, and I use the whole year for that, at the end of this year, this room will be doubled. Am I right? Next year we repeat this again. You take one more block, but now that person that you have invested, that you have somehow trained and developed, you activate him, you enlist him to do the same thing. So at the end of next year, we are one today, next year will be two, then we'll become four. It seems like a slow process, but within three or four years, we will exponentially grow all over America. If we take the forgotten Jesus model really seriously. You know, Dr. Billy Graham was asked a question many, many years ago, and the question was the following What is the greatest need in the world today? He said, Do you think, you might be surprised with my answer, but I think that the greatest need today is a revival of the Church of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. And then he said the following. As I look at that, I realize the heartbeat of his ministry was evangelism. And then I realized something that you can't really separate revival from evangelism, evangelism from revival, discipleship from revival, and revival from discipleship. So I want to talk to you this morning in a time that I have available about something connected to this. But I will not preach to you. I want to share a few things as we go along. And just kind of leave it there and want you to think about this and to dream about the possibility of what can be starting here today. And then we'll close with that this morning and start to prepare ourselves for worship service. If you have your Bible, we can turn to the Gospel of St. Matthew in chapter 9, the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 9, and as we turn to the chapter. Really, revival for me is a season, I believe, ordained by God, where the Holy Spirit starts to awaken the church to reach out with the Great Commission, sending out labors in the heart. But at the same time, as we talk about spiritual awakening, is for lost people to become aware of their own condition before God. So God always works in two places at the same time. Does the heart of the church to be awakened, but also the needy outside to become aware of eternity and the dire need for peace and salvation and for something that needs to happen in their lives. And as we think about revival, we talk about personal revival, which appears a number of times in the scriptures. We talk about corporate revival, Psalm 5. We talk about reviving of God's work coming from the book of Habakkuk. But today, let's just read a few verses together from verse 35 in Matthew chapter 9. And then Jesus went about all the cities and villages and teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like the sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now what I want to do, I want to divide our session this morning in different sections. And first of all here, I want to ask a few questions and just give a brief answer. 
And then I want to use this and just backtrack a little bit to the life of the Lord Jesus, and then jump again to the Jordan River, and then we get to the Great Commission, and then we bring this all together probably around 2 o'clock this afternoon. Is that okay? Perfect. As long as my cup of coffee stays full, I'll be okay. So that's fine. No, I'm just kidding. You know, when I look at this passage, I, I'm just simply asking a few questions. And the first one is why did God send revival? Why does God send revival worldwide in times of revival? Times of, of seasons and moments God just, just stripped down the community and just blessed people and, and just touched their hearts and changed and transformed. Why does God send that? The answer we find here in verse 35, the 36. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. So God looks down from, from the top to the bottom and he sees what's happening in the world today. I want to tell you that God is more concerned about the lost people and the needy people worldwide because he loved him so much that he gave his son. God has compassion. And that word compassion is a Greek word that means this. It's like a groaning coming from the inside. There's, a, there's something happens in this it is inside when you look at people. And ever since I look at this word, and as I'm preaching worldwide, I'm looking at the faces of people with the same, trying with the same perspective, but looking at the faces, seeing the potential of what we can be. Because Christianity is not what we know, it is what we become. It's not about knowledge here, it's what God touches your heart and changes that we can become into the same image and the likeness of the Lord Jesus. I only see potential. You mean that they are the spirit, the drug addict, the alcoholic? Yes. Because the Lord God touches his heart and change. You mean that difficult husband I'm married to? Yes. If God touches his heart, everything changes. I just see potential. But God look at people and see them with compassion as if they are someone without a shepherd or a leader. Compassion. You look at chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 20, the word compassion. But then the second question is the word, what is the purpose of revival? And if you look at this passage and talk about revival, which is the need for the day before we get to the forgotten Jesus morning. What is the purpose of revival? It always consists out of two things. And the first one is the awakening of the local church or a Christian to become aware, to stop, to be restored. And that's what the meaning of the word revival means, to be restored, to be refreshed, that there can be new growth. The Old Testament word means restore, because we have drifted away from God's original purpose. But we can be refreshed and some receive something new, and then there's new growth. Growth towards God's purpose, God's glory, and God's intent. So what is the, the purpose of revival? is to awaken us that we can return. That we can return. But look at verse 35. And then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So it's two things. One is teaching and one is preaching. The teaching takes place inside the synagogue, which is the church, you and I today. But the preaching of the kingdom of God is outside for people to be saved and to be born again. So revival is always to touch those that already has life, to have new life, and to bring in people that does not know the Lord Jesus. So usually when we have revival meetings from Sunday to Wednesday, preaching revival, we are so concerned about people getting saved and born again. I am not. 
God is more concerned about that than I am. But I'm concerned about the Christian people that needs to be activated because we are inactive. We have life, but somehow our life is the embers is starting to go down. So the purpose here is to teach that we can preach. In other words, for the church to revive and for people to get saved and born again. That's the intention of revival. And you will see today why. And we can leave out all these little questions that I have here and, and verses of scripture and because I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is evangelical, but what, we are not evangelistic. In our minds and theology and hearts we are evangelical. We are Protestants evangelical. But we are not evangelistic. So if you send a short-term mission trip to Alaska or up north to Ohio or Nova Scotia or some places, it's just an outreach and come back. But when I look at the churches on Sunday morning and I see the pews are full of people, I just saw the potential. Because every person there is a missionary or an evangelist in the making. And they go out and make a difference for Jesus. And why do I say that to you? Let me tell you why. I wrote the material in fact, I was teaching the material before COVID-19. And I asked the question in South Africa, if churches will be closed down towards the end of times, and we will be prevented to preach the gospel on YouTube and Facebook and live streaming, and you may not be able to say this or that from the pulpit anymore, and somehow you will be controlled, how in the world will we take the gospel message from this place to go into the rest of the world because it, means, it doesn't mean that it has changed. Because our circumstances have changed, God's commission is still the same. Every person in America, irrespective of the color of his skin, the language that he speaks, needs to be saved and born again. And then to be led into a deeper, victorious Christian life that is available for each and for everyone. It does not mean that because you and I struggle in our walk with God, might be tempted to look at the COVID-19 and our hearts full of panic and fear and whatever the case might be happening, it changes the perspective from God, it does not. Moses was wandering in the desert for 40 years, but God's intention was still the same when he met with him. He walked around with a dream that has died, but God said, listen, while you are wandering around here, I have seen the affliction of my people, therefore I have come down, the Bible says, I want to do something about this because I have compassion for those in need in Egypt, but I want to use you to go back to Egypt and fetch my people and bring them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, cross the wilderness into the Promised Land. So although Moses was struggling, God's intention was still the same. Every person to be saved, no, to live in the Promised Land. So although you and I might be here this morning with our own problems, God's intent is still the same for 7.4 billion people worldwide that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior yet. So what will we do if they don't come to church anymore? If we cannot transmit and send out and go in and speak about Jesus, how will we reach the masses? That's the question for you this morning that I want to get to eventually. So we'll have this very long introduction with a short point. That's the pay of you. And I hope that create a video about the desire just to rethink this way. Third question.
just so you to say that when we start to make use of the right means that God has provided, so if we do this, God will do this. And, and I remember one time when I was preaching in Cornwall, I met with the moderator of the Methodist Church, and he asked me the question, what are you doing here in England? I said, I'm preaching revival. The message of revival. He said, do you believe the same definition of revival like Charles Finney? I said, no. Because I know what it is his background. There is so much in the sovereignty of God. God wants to change America evil. We just have to show up and do whatever we have to do. The American people on the other side, if we, if we see a problem, we just gotta fix it. But there has to be a balance between the two. So I said, no, the definition for me about revival we find in the book of Isaiah. Where the Bible says the prophet, he said, Oh, that thou would come down and render the heavens. That's for me a definition for revival. Did you know that George Whitfield was a famous preacher one time preaching in Boston, Massachusetts, and there was 30,000 people there. But they said nobody can say the word oh like George Whitfield. Oh, that you would come down. Just a cry from the heart. So I said to this guy, I said, the word oh means oh, that God would do something. So I ask you a question. What are you doing in England to prepare your people and create within their hearts a longing to look up and cry out to the creator of the universe, the Almighty, to say, oh, that you would do something for us. That's why I'm here at the conference. That the Lord can stir my heart, your heart, that in my heart there can be a longing for more. Oh! And then he just turned around and walked away. Because it cost something. But the question is when will revival come? Because God is sovereign in his time. And let me tell you something today. The very last revival will be the biggest ever connected to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. That's the greatest revival that will take place ever. But in the meantime, the fourth question, what must we do? Look what Jesus is saying. He says, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into the harvest. So Jesus said, what can we do in the meantime as we wait for God to do something as we long and cry out to him? He said, you must pray for the laborers in the harvest. And then if you read chapter 10, for instance, the whole chapter 10 speaks about how Jesus then told his disciples what to do, and then he sends them out, and then chapter 11, the beginning as well. So, when I look at this, I realize revival is the greatest need. But connected to revival is laborers in the harvest. Now let me just explain that before we continue. We get Christians as people are saved and born again. But the word Christian you only find once in the Bible. But then we get disciples. 269 times the word disciple appears in the New Testament. And then we get laborers in the harvest. So Jesus is saying the answer for the problem is to find laborers in the harvest. When I was teaching the other day at a local church, in fact, the last few days when I was in the association next door, 
We met some of the, what they call the signature pastors, and I asked them a question. I said, what is the end product of a disciple? If you talk about Christians and disciples, how does the disciple look when you've trained someone? Because when I look at the life of Jesus, he takes a convert, he makes him a follower, he makes him a worker, he makes him a leader. But what we do is we put up the hand to be saved, confess our sin, be baptized, so we become converts. And then because there's, there's a hunger and a, and a longing for this man, there's excitement and energy and he wants to be used and active and so we vote for him and he becomes the next deacon and elders, we make him a leader, so we jump from power to leadership. But nothing about following and how to become a worker. But what is the end product of a disciple? Let me tell you three things. Number one, is a man or a woman that hungers and pursues Christ-likeness. Wanting to live and to act and to behave and just to be like Jesus. There's a hunger. You know the Holy Spirit creates that within your heart. Because He's the one that lifts up the perfect image of Christ and put your life right before Him. And then conviction of sin and all things which are not like Jesus. So conviction of sin for me is good. Because that means God is busy with me. Am I right? But when I see something in the line of that perfect image, I, I can only bend to the and confess and ask Him to forgive me. Because He's the one changing and transforming and creating a hunger to become like Him. If I don't have that hunger and longing and willingness to go the distance and confess, that somehow along the line, Christians have, have drifted of course and be stuck. But the second point is what we call spiritual mature Christians. Not infants, born again people, and young adults, it's Christian mature people that have learned and studied and grown and, and go from one place to another in their spiritual life. Then lastly is this point to become an effective laborer in the harvest. To be able to do what I can do. Now let's use this as foundation and then backtrack a little bit and then play around and then come back to Matthew chapter 28 and then I'm going to close with this. No free. You have something that you can rethink. You know, a few years ago, God touched my heart about living and studying the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus as I was reflecting on John chapter 15, where Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words in you, you will ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. And as I was reflecting on that verse, I also thought about Romans chapter 8, that the ultimate purpose and goal and intent of our Father is to change us into the image of His Son. So I put these two things together. The Father, the Creator of the universe, His intent is for me to become like His Son. Speak like Him, behave like Him. You know, when I was with Dr. Dennis Kindler, I mentioned that the other night when I talked about the word friend. But just before I left his home, he told me, he said, Francois, I want you to go back home and I want you to live with the verse of scripture in your heart. 
And he gave me John chapter 17, where Jesus said, Just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So I said, What does it mean? He says, This is what it says. The Father sent Christ, and our Christ is sending you. To, to do what he said to be Jesus. I asked him, he said, does that mean I have to be Jesus for my wife, for my husband? He said, yes. And for my kids and my neighbor? He said, yes. Then he said the following, everything that Jesus Christ is to you today, your forgiveness, then you must forgive. If it's your peace, you must give peace. You must be a man of peace. Irrespective of everything that Jesus Christ is to you today, you must be for him. Do you mean I have to be Jesus for my difficult wife? Yes. My neighbor? Yes. Can you say, go home and live with that verse for two weeks before you move on to the next one? And make sure you apply the, the detail of that truth into your heart. Now we're back home and I thought about this. And I said to myself, if Jesus Christ has come to live within my heart, that means he's inside here. But now my wife also has accepted the Lord Jesus as her Savior. So he's also inside her, am I right? So when we are together and I'm looking at my wife, at whom am I actually looking? And when she looks at me, at whom is she looking in that moment? And when I point the finger, at whom am I point the finger? If I criticize, whom do I criticize? And you start to look at the awareness of the fact that Christ is inside you and with you. Just as the Father sent me, so I sent you. And so I start to read through the scriptures and I start to study it, to look at the words of Jesus and the commands of Jesus and his relationships and, and every aspect of his life. In fact, Jesus gave 29 commands for his disciples, which is applicable on you and I today. And look at the first one, the word repent. I got stuck in that word for six weeks, just for myself. But as I was reading through scriptures, I came to John chapter 8. For instance, verse 28, where the Bible says that the Son of Man can only spoke and speak about what he has heard from the Father. I want you to see this because I want to get back to this in Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to close with that. The Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but as the Father taught me, I speak these things. He repeated that same verse in John chapter 12, verse 48. In one more place, I don't remember that now. So Jesus is actually saying, every time when I open my mouth, I only speak what I have heard from my Father. So I ask myself the question, can I honestly say that I only speak what I have heard from Him? and process that for myself, and the answer is no. And I thought back about all those moments of profanity and, and criticizing and speaking negative and, and thinking negative about people, irrespective of what that might be in the past. And, and I realized how I have messed up over the years, completely forgetting that God himself has come to dwell within the sinful body. And I had to listen to every one of that conversation. Sad, isn't it? But how is it possible for Jesus to be able to do that? It was possible for him because he made the time to sit at the feet of his father and learn how to listen to his voice. He made time for God in his life. 
and learn how to listen. But if you turn to John chapter 5, you find an amazing verse that the Bible speaks about there. It says, we can read it, it said, And then Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. And so whatever the Father does, the Son also does in like manner. So Jesus said, Everything that I am doing, I only do what my Father has revealed to me and showed to me. All the places I visit, the places I go to, what I'm doing, my agenda, my schedule for the day, I got that from my Father. So I ask myself that same question. Is it possible for me to be able to do? And when I look back in my life, I realize how messed up my life was. You know, here in the States, when it's time for the ball game or the weekend, I understand watching a ball game when it's finished, but why you have to watch six, seven, eight hours of that and reruns and discussions about the ball game? There's no margin in lives of so many people. We've got our whole weekend is about sport. I don't do that back home. I want to rerun for 10, 15 minutes as the highlights of the day. Because I made a decision intentionally not to waste my time. If I don't have to study, I will read. If I don't read, I will sleep. If I don't sleep, I'll go for a walk. If I don't go for a walk, I'll just sit and stare at nature and listen to the birds. I don't want my heart and my mind to be filled with so many things. I want to be sensitive for my Father. There are so many time wasters out there. So Jesus said, I only do what I saw from my dad. Now let me just take those two principles. There are a few more. And then we get back to to something I want to share with you that's actually the message for today that I promised Scott I will do and if I watch the time I'm always to, almost at the end and then it's time to take a break before we go. In Mark chapter 1, let's start there then we jump to Matthew 9 and then Matthew 28 and I want to explain that and we'll leave it there. Mark chapter 1 The Bible says look at verse 5 then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. All the land of Judea. If you look at the Bible, you see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and then it goes beyond this. So the Bible says people come from Jerusalem and they come from all the land of Judea, which is around Jerusalem. In some places also from Galilee, because the disciples of John was there when they lived and walked in the footsteps of Jesus in John chapter 4, if you would read this in your own time, on 2 and 3. But there was a lot of people. There were hundreds of people when Jesus was baptized. I want you to see it. Because what happens next is important. After Jesus was baptized, he walked away from the baptism to the mountain to be tempted. After the temptation he came back and he went all the way up to Galilee and he stayed and he began his ministry by going from Nazareth to Capernaum. And then Jesus' ministry started. We know that, but we forget sometimes the following. If there were hundreds of people there on this day that he was baptized, it would have been easy for Jesus Christ to take the crowd that was there and began a movement. 
atmosphere of revival. But he walked away from the revival because his father took him into the wilderness. Remember now, he was led, the Bible said, by the Spirit to go to the wilderness. And in John chapter 16, we read that the Holy Spirit can only speak what he has heard. So the Father told the Spirit of God to take the Son away from an atmosphere and a crowd and a huge amount of people and take him to the wilderness. It would be easy for Jesus to take the disciples of John because they were trained already, but Jesus walked away from trained disciples, equipped people, and an atmosphere and a crowd because his Father said so. You know, Michael Hyatt used to say that he has a blog spot that goes out, and one time he wrote the following, he said, Successful leaders today are so concerned about influence and the breadth of the ministry and popularity and, and to publish and to write and radio programs and television. But Jesus Christ walked away from that intentionally. So what was the secret of Jesus Christ? And why did Jesus do that? And what did he do? And how did he do that? Four more questions. But if I look at the time, I will not get to that point. But let me just tell you something. Why did Jesus do that? Because he, he was able to answer two basic questions. And the first one was, Whose am I? To whom do I belong? Who's my crowd? Who's my audience? And sometimes we have, when you are a pastor or a leader, we want to be people's pleasers and make our members happy because otherwise they stop giving and supporting. But when I look at the life of Jesus, he only had one person in his audience that he wanted to please and make happy. That's his father. The father. So he was able to walk away from this because he could answer the question, whose am I? To whom do I belong? It would have been easy to to take the crowd and the popularity and the prepared disciples and starting a movement that we can overthrow the Roman Empire and we can do a great thing. But he walked away because his father said so. Now, let's just use that. And please forgive me. I'm going to fast forward and jump. Then we get back to, to Matthew chapter 9 for a brief moment. Let's just go back there. And as we look at Matthew, you know, when you watch a sport activity on Saturday, you get all these different angles and cameras looking at the sport. And so you got the bird's view from the top, and then you got, and then they move to this camera, and they focus on these players, and then the camera jumps to this side. And so you got all these angles the whole time. So you can actually see what's happening while the sport touch down. And so when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you also get angles. Matthew is the angle from the Father that speaks about kingdom. Matthew is about kingdom principles. Mark is about servanthood. Luke is about a human being, you and I. John is about the Son of God. And so there's different angles as we look at the life of Jesus. But in Matthew, it speaks about kings. So all the things that we read in Matthew is kingdom principles. Now let's just read this again. Slowly. And I'm going to ask a question without explaining it. If all the red letters in this book is the words of Jesus. And remember now what Jesus said in John 8. He can only speak what he has heard. So the Father told Jesus 
to say something, am I right? Just say this one. Yeah. So when we read all these red letters, when Jesus spoke of his mouth, who was the actual one who told him to say that? The Father. The creator of the universe, Almighty God. The one that sits above the White House and all the houses worldwide, the one that can say the word in your life, my life, and the nations will change in a moment. So now Jesus went about all the cities who told him to go to those cities. The Father. Why? Because the Father has compassion. And then Jesus comes eventually and said, The harvest is plentiful. And I want to tell you something. When I look at America, let's forget about how many Christians there are, 300 million people, million people. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus doesn't see problems and, and, and all the crises in America and, and the falling away. He only looks at people from America and sees 300 million people. They only see a harvest because he sees the potential of getting to know him and to grow him, to become living in peace and victory. He said the harvest now is plentiful. But he said now the, the laborers are few. But let's just stop there. Who said that to say that to the disciples? The Father. So when the Father looks at Poplar Springs today, what does he see? A harvest. Scott and 
elders and deacons, it's the responsibility of each and every one of us here today. And the question is, how do we do it? Where do we start? And what do we do? That's what Ken and Scott would have to teach you, because I don't have the time to explain that to you today. But it's so easy. That's why I said in the beginning, if all these things start to be closed down, we don't come to churches, how do we take the same message to the rest of the world is starting to return back to what we call the forgotten Jesus model. And what is that? Jesus walked away from an atmosphere of revival, listen carefully, to invest his life and time in a small group of people. That's all. And as I thought about that, Jesus said in John 13, if you receive me, you have received the one who has sent me. And so I said to myself, who are those people that you should need in my life at the moment? Starting with my wife, my family members, my friends, my colleagues worldwide. What do I do with them? What would happen today if we start to apply the truth of the method of Jesus by spending time with one, two or three people the same way that Jesus has done it by investing ourselves in Him and then come to the place where it's the Father, the Son the disciples and us or Paul said to Timothy go find someone that can teach for us now here are you today your job and my job are finished the moment I've trained someone that can do exactly what I can do because he said go and teach them all the things I taught you and I will be with you till the very end. The last thing on the heart of my father, your father, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the creator of the universe, <coughs> is to go into this world. No, don't go make Christians. Go make disciples. Go teach them what I taught you. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, the greatest need today is not to make Christians and disciples. The need today is the laborers in the harvest. And everyone here today is a laborer in the harvest. With Christ inside us, His Spirit with us, we have the potential, the empowerment to be able to share what God has laid upon our hearts. I don't have to go in the streets and preach and tell people I just have to make a list of all those people that is in my life in this moment and then make time with them and tell them what I've learned and what I've heard and read a book together and study together and, and get to the place where you can actually do the same. And so this will grow. Just imagine, I'm closing. Just imagine, today, maybe Scott and Ken can at some point make a big chessboard for 64 spots. And we put it out here and we invite you to come and come and stand at one spot and say, okay, I'll take care of this one. And I'm going to do a survey of my relationships, all those numbers and names, and I'm going to pray about this. And if God lays one person upon my heart, I'm going to spend some time with him. And I'm going to, all the things I've learned from him, just pour into his heart. And then ask him to do the same at the end of next year or this year. What will happen if you do that? We'll double the number. Now some of those people that you want to spend some time with is not in South Carolina, it's in North Carolina. Some might be a friend.
friend in New Mexico and someone be a friend in Colombia. I am spending some time weekly with pastors in New Zealand, Australia, in South Africa, in America, in different parts of the world. And I'm excited about getting to the place where they can be enlisted and be sent out. So I've always asked them when I get to that part of the material, let's do those circles together. Who are those people God has uniquely brought into your life right now? Let's make the list. And then reach out to them. When I see them next week, I ask, did you spend some time with that person? Did you reach out? Did you contact him? Did you have breakfast together? Did you talk about whatever God lays upon your heart? And most of them said, oh, I completely forgot about this. That I would keep him accountable and said, next week, next week. Do you know why? Jesus had left the reaching of the nation, 7.4 billion people worldwide in the hands of people like you and I. Neighbors. Jesus. No. And the Father told that to His Son to say that to you and to me. And I want to be busy with this because then I have the promise of the Father that He says, I will be with you till the very end of time. Irrespective of what happened in the States, in Europe, in Russia, and worldwide, I have the promise God is in me and with me till the very end of time. If I'm busy with His work. So Jesus walked away from this. Then He closed. Within two years, they filled Jerusalem with the teaching. Acts chapter 5. In four years, the churches were multiplying and growing throughout all Judea, Samaria, Galilee. Acts chapter 9. Within 19 years, they turned the world upside down. Acts chapter 17. Within 20 years, his followers had taken the message to every major city of the Roman Empire, as well as Africa and India. Within 30 years, the gospel was bearing fruit and growing in Colossians chapter 1. By the year 8,300 Christians made up 10% of the population throughout the empire, which was 9 million followers of Jesus. Today, it numbers more than 2 billion people around the world. And all from a man that never wrote a book, had no TV program, no radio program, and only spent three years of investing his life in 12 fishermen. Unlearned, uneducated people. We've got all the resources. We've got buildings, we've got radio stations, we've got TV channels, We've got bookshops upon bookshops upon bookshops. We've got Bibles upon Bibles upon Bibles. And you know what? We've got pastors, small groups. But we've got two things which is so special. We have the Lord Jesus Christ with us. And we have the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit inside us that brings us in direct contact and access with the Almighty, the Creator of the universe. We have all the resources we need. He's only wanting and waiting for you and I to respond to Him. So let me say this for you, then I'm done. So Jesus 
was on that mountain the sign by the Father. Then he gave this clarion call, reaching out and said, Go into this world. Today Christ is looking for free people, for those who are willing to devote themselves to Him and His cause, for those who are willing to be developed by Him, changed and transformed, and for those who will be willing to be deployed where He has placed you, starting in your home, your husband, your wife, your kids, your family members, your neighbor, your colleagues, your acquaintances, and so it goes on. Right where we are. That call that started in Matthew 28 back in the day in Galilee is still the call which is out there, the planning call from the Father. It says, my child, I want to change this world. Thank you for that. 